welcome to the World of Speakers podcast brought to you by Speaker Hub. In each episode, we interview a professional speaker and reveal their very best tips and tricks. You'll learn to improve your presentation skills, keep your audience engaged, and learn how to grow your business to get more gigs and make more money. Here's your host, Ryan Foland. Ahoy, everyone. I am laughing because I have been talking with the person who you're going to hear from and meet and learn all about. Her name is Sarah Weiss, just like nice, even though how it's spelled doesn't look like that. She's a speaker. She's a marketing researcher and she's a supper. No, not the thing you eat, but a stand up paddle boarder. Welcome, Sarah, to the show. Thanks for having me. You know, I'm excited because when I met you, when when was that? A while ago. And it was... It was Content Marketing Conference, but not the last one, like two years ago, maybe? I think your book was just coming out or it had just come out, but somebody might listen to this in 2025 and be like, wait, what? But we met each other in person. I had a chance to see you speak. We've been in touch. There's a number of people who I've just thought top of mind to connect you with. And when I think of how to leverage this digital space and connect in an effective way, you come top of mind. And so I always like to start by letting people get to know you from a story of your past. Now, I'm not going to read through your bio and accolades and, you know, and build you up here. I want people to get to know you from just a single story. I know you're a storyteller. You've written a book. You can't write a book without being a storyteller. What is one moment in time that if I was able to hear I could then introduce you to people using that story. So I had this mentor named Chris Voss, and he he was a wonderful mentor in terms of negotiations, and I went to him for business advice. And one thing, I went to him one time, and I said, hey, how do you really connect with people and, and empathize with people quickly? How do you do that fast in a negotiation? And he said, the best way to do that the best thing advice I can give you is to have you go and volunteer at a suicide hotline for a year. And he was like, actually, don't come back and talk to me until you've done that. And so I did. And so after 250 hours as a listener at a suicide hotline, I came back to him and he said, okay, what have you learned about empathy? And that experience of that year really talking to people from all walks of life and people who were going through really rough times in their lives to the point where they were calling a suicide hotline, that really touched me and shaped me in ways that really have altered the course of my life and my career. And one thing I learned through that whole event is that we as humans when we're connecting with people and when we're empathizing with people, we we tend to share stuff about ourselves. So you said, oh, I am a sailor. And I'm like, my husband has a canoe. We have a boat too. You know, we, as humans, we find these little connections to connect with. But what if we could do that without sharing any personal details about ourselves? So what if we could empathize with somebody by just shifting the focus back on them Mm. and making it not about yourself at all? Because when you're talking to somebody on a suicide hotline, you can't share any personal details. It's against the rules. So there are techniques that I use now every day as a market researcher when I'm talking to participants in research studies that I learned from the suicide hotline. I learned to not agree with people, to connect with them, and not to necessarily share with people about myself unless I want to. 
but that was a a part of my life that really really was a one of those shaping stories i guess you could call it Wow, that's definitely an interesting story. So I have a couple questions to dig into the psychology of this so that we unpack who you are. I heard you say the word, and I assume this is a big part of, of the research that you do, but just the human experience. How have you always been interested in that? Were you as a kid interested in in interactions between humans or did you levitate towards certain cartoons that were more humanistic? Like, I want to know where the your passion and interest for the human side of things, where that started, where you can remember? Oh, gosh. I was a very shy, introverted kid. So it wasn't, maybe it was just because of that, because of looking around and trying to figure people out and not being a naturally social child. (laughs) Defaulting to not sharing about you, but being interested in what's happening around you. Yeah, and really observing people. And maybe that's why I gravitated toward research. Yeah, the observing. Now, how did you go from introverted to speaking? Was there a certain moment where you had that transition or? I'm still introverted. (laughs) I'm still introverted. (laughs) I worked very, very hard to appear (laughs) extroverted. And the COVID situation, let me tell you, this has been rough on me because normally my kids go to school, my husband is at work. I have all day to myself to just think. Right. And now everybody's in the house. So I will rephrase the question. As an introverted speaker, are you finding your groove? Because I think there's a lot of people that are introverted. And some of those people want to speak as a way to, to sort of break past that. But you're kind of this mold here who is still introverted, proud of it, but aware of the fact that you've got to put yourself out there. So how is that working? I mean, are the kids all on mute right now or did you kick them out of the house? I literally told my husband, go take them, buy a Christmas tree. <laughs> Come back in an hour. Okay, perfect. Adaptability. <laughs> so yeah, they won't, they won't bother us today. I mean, you said find your groove. I've been speaking for a very long time. So I feel like I found my groove many years ago. Yeah. And just for me as an introverted child, and now you're an introverted adult, I'm always curious where like the flip is switched to where you actually are putting yourself out there and you are speaking. Can you be a speaker and still be introverted? Oh, absolutely. I actually think some of the best speakers are introverted because we think. (laughs) We really spend time by ourselves thinking and brainstorming in our minds. As opposed to people like me who will just like talk over people and continue to talk, blah, blah, blah. Putting half-baked <laughs> ideas out there. <laughs> yes, which is why we need people like you to do the market research so we're actually talking about things that are relevant in the moment. Yeah, absolutely. And this is one of the reasons that when people say, how did you write your book? Like, how long did it take you to write your book? And I tell them, well, it took me three weeks. It took me two weeks to write it and one week to publish it. People say, how is that possible? It took me a year to write my book. And it's because I had been thinking about these ideas for a very long time. And I had years of research to back up all the ideas. So when I sat down to write, I was just taking what was in my head and putting it on paper. I wasn't thinking as I was writing in terms of really doing the analysis. That's a great perspective. It makes me think of Abe Lincoln. You know, and if he had, what was it, uh, said, if you gave me five hours to cut down a tree, I'd spend the first four sharpening my axe. Right. Yeah. (laughs) That's a great comparison. Yeah. 
you might want to fact check me on the number of hours, but that would be right in line with how you, it's not about writing the book. You just basically translated what you had created over years and experience and things like that. Mm -hmm. And actually when I called my editor and my editor is John Wubin, who you know, right? Sounds familiar. Yeah. He was also a speaker at content marketing conference. I think we were hanging out together a couple of years ago, but I called him and I was like, Hey, can you edit my book? And he said, well, how many words do you have written? And I knew that without at least 30,000 words or something that he wouldn't take me seriously. And I had about two pages written. So I was like, I don't know, about 30,000 words. And (laughs) he said, great, send it over to me. And you're like, (laughs) give me two days. Give me two days. (laughs) (laughs) And literally, I was writing the back half of the book. We was in the Google Doc editing the front half. That's good. That's real time. Well, let's talk in real time about your advice for speaking as an introvert, what extroverts can learn about introverts, what all of us can learn about thinking maybe a bit more before we speak, but in particular to the art of speaking, your presentation, how you're communicating the ideas. Where would you even start in this COVID world to help someone who's upcoming or somebody who's already where they want to be but want to go further? What's your speaking advice? Wow, that was a lot of stuff you rattled off. (laughs) That was a question monster. I'm going to have to remind myself to just think for a minute and come up with one question. So there are a few very key tips that I would give somebody starting out. The first one would be to really think about the structure of your talks. So in market research, we often do journey maps of a buyer's journey where we're plotting the emotional highs and lows of how somebody goes from awareness to learning about a product, to researching competitors, to actually purchasing, and then beyond that, to sharing their purchase and doing things, engaging with the company after they purchase. So in the same way, you can do that for your talk. And you can say, okay, I'm going to start with a really emotionally highly charged story, and then I'm going to drop and give some tips. And then I'm going to take it up a notch. I'm going to tell something really funny that happened. And then I'm going to tell something that really kind of makes your, your heart warm and fuzzy inside. And so what I intentionally do in my talks is plot that journey and figure out where there are highs and lows so that I'm not just giving tip, 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 tip without a peak in there somewhere. Okay. So this is interesting to dissect and I want to go a bit more meta into it. Because if somebody's hearing, they're like, oh, that sounds good, but they might not know these components. So from if we were going to look at the, I think it's called the key, like if we were in seventh grade, we were making a map for social studies and we had to make the key, right? Which is... Oh, the legend. The legend. That's what it is. Okay. So I want us to create a legend for mapping out a talk or a presentation. So there's going to be like the little star and the star is equal to... I actually do it on post-it notes with different colors. Okay. So I have a legend already. (laughs) Okay, well, so this is the good stuff. So tell me the post-it note legend. And then that way people can have this framework. And I now have the visual of you using post-it notes up on the wall or whatever else it is. Yeah, so I use one color post-it notes for stories and another color for more tactical tips, how-to type of thing. So if I'm doing a talk, say, on marketing to Gen Z, I might tell some great stories about interacting with teenagers while doing research. They may be roaring funny stories. And then I might get into the nitty gritty of here are some tactical 
research tools that you can use to do this yourself. Well, then we're in a tactical, tactical, tactical area. So it needs some sort of push of emotion. And so I might either tell another story or play a video or do something that will bring the energy back up. So or do you only have two colors of post-it notes then? No, I do two colors and then I do different types of emotions for what I want to elicit. Okay, so for example, the story would be a color and that would identify this one time blank. Yeah, and I do have a third color for videos, but I see them as stories. So if I have in my Instabrain talk, my marketing to Gen Z talk that I give quite often, I have specific videos from participants where they're doing something and they're narrating the videos. That's almost their story instead of my story. And then I'm Mm. analyzing it before and afterwards. So that would be a different color post-it because it's still going to bring the energy up, but not in the same way as a personal story. Okay, so maybe, you know, how at Staples or wherever you buy, we're officially not sponsored by Staples. Although Staples, if you're listening and you want to sponsor this podcast, that's cool. You have these different hue sets, like the different color boards, where maybe there's a whole bunch that are in this fuchsia tone and others that are muted. So it's almost like for stories, whether it's a video or a personal story or maybe a customer experience story, Maybe they'd match sort of colors, but they're in one genre in the legend. Yeah. And then I have another color (laughs) where it's for takeaway points where I may just have one, two, maybe three in the entire presentation, but you might want to have one toward, I don't know, the first half of the presentation and maybe one at the back half. So I strategically put those in so you're not getting one slide with just four or five words over and over and over again. Right. Okay. So those are kind of the tweetable moments, I would call them. The takeaways are the tweetables. Yeah. And those are the things that you're challenging the audience to take away, which also might be the ones that they're most impressed with to then share out. I also would make sure that the slides would say it, that the words on the slides, there wouldn't be too many words so that somebody could literally copy it verbatim and put it into Twitter, which happens quite a bit, or they're taking a photo of it. And there's not that many words on a slide. There may be four or five words. The tweetable slides. The tweetable stuff. Yeah. Got it. It's more Instagram stories these days. but (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yes, this is true. Well, talking about stories, stories, tactical tips, which are also tools, videos, which are stories, takeaways, which are tweetable. Is a takeaway the same as an action item? Maybe. Because one thing, and I ask this because one thing in these digital talks, they're typically like, they're just shorter. You just don't have as much time with your audience as you typically would. And it's almost more challenging to put together a 20 minute or a 15 minute talk because you're like, geez. So much harder because you're like, I've got these five great points, but I can only pick three. Yeah. And will number three make sense without the one that was number two? (laughs) Right, right. So when it comes to that, one thing that I've been seeing or I've been trying to do is to make the talk really the start. And I've been working with putting challenges to people. So this idea of a takeaway or an action item or a challenge, like if you take this and you actually, after this talk, you go do it and you tag me, I'll amplify that. Or 
I'm trying to create something beyond the talk because I almost feel like it's just not enough time. So when you're using your post notes, whether it's an hour and a half or an hour or even 20 minutes, you're just limiting the number of notes and just reducing the information. But I'm still making sure that the emotional highs and lows are tracked throughout the presentation, even if we're getting rid of a couple of points or a couple of videos. I want to make sure if I strip that video because I don't, I'm taking it from a 45 minute to a 30 minute talk. If I strip that video out, is there still a high energy peak at a specific moment? So I'm really tracking the experience that I want the audience to feel while they're in that talk. Do you physically have the post-it notes? And if you have five stories, do you have five post-it notes with the mm -hmm. stories? Absolutely. I'll put on a post-it note, I'll say hedgehog story. Okay. And then emotional value or some sort of key within that. I do emoji. So I'll do like an excited person emoji or I'll do, or your stick figures. It's something yes, it's similar to your stick figures. So I'll put little emotions or I might be like a heart for touching story or something like that. Gotcha. But I try to vary them. So it's not just funny, tactical, funny, tactical, funny, tactical. I think that's almost a little boring. It's funny, yeah. tactical, heartwarming, tactical, funny, tactical, heartwarming, tactical. This is going to sound bad, but it's like the little rats that um, were tapping for bits of cocaine and they found that it's intermittent rewarding is the most effective, right? If you give a little shot every time they do it, then they just overdose. If you give it to them in a regular pattern, it's not as good, but when they just keep clicking, just not sure. And then all of a sudden they get it. Woo. And then they just keep clicking. So it's the audience. Audience, I'm not calling you rats, but we need to be considerate of how we're delivering the information out there. And you're really messing with their head a little bit to keep it exciting. Also, people are so distracted today, especially if you're doing a talk virtually. Everyone is multitasking while that's happening. So you have to keep them engaged. Really, it's critical to do that. And a lot of times since COVID, I try whenever I can to pre-record the talk and edit it so that I can get the video appear on the whole screen instead of doing the Zoom window where I'm presenting and then the video plays and you're seeing my awkward face sit there waiting for the video to be over. Okay. So tell me about that real quick. So you're recording it and then editing it as like a picture in picture, or you're editing your screen and your video. I'm editing my screen so that the video would go maybe even over. Like if there's a video playing while I'm talking, you're going to see the video and you're just going to hear my voice. You don't see me through the whole talk. Got it. Okay. Have you ever heard of an ATEM Mini Pro? It's made by Black Magic, and there's a whole different versions, but I I learned from a gentleman, another speaker, his name is Vin Gang, just brilliant presenter. He's a magician and he's a fantastic communicator. But I went to one of his mastermind workshops and I was fascinated because it was like he was on stage, but he had a switcher, like camera one, camera two, video one, video two. So it was almost like in real time, he's like, oh, come over here. He hits a button and now he's got camera two. And he's like, let me show you this trick. Hits it and now it's camera three. Then you have to have three cameras to make that happen. Yeah, yeah, which gets crazy. Yeah. If the videos are short, like let's say I'm doing an Instagram video and I know exactly what I'm going to say, I will actually script it out on a teleprompter, film it into the camera, move the camera, right, read exactly the same thing, move the camera again. So it's say that read the same thing again and then cut so that it looks like I have three videos. Creativity at its greatest. 
But what I'm hearing is that you're taking control of the technology instead of the technology controlling how you're able to present. And I don't think enough people are doing that. Absolutely. Because that's the experience that you want the audience to feel. I want at the end of my talk that at least 75% of that room texts hi to 66866, signs up for my free chapter, gets on my email list. And that's how I get in person. I would expect that 90% of the room would sign up for my email list. On a virtual talk, it's more like 75%. But I think that's because people are really multitasking and fatigued. But that's my goal is to really make connections while I'm there, especially because when you're not at an in-person talk, you're not going to the happy hours afterwards. You're not standing by the screen and people are forming a line and coming up to ask you questions and talk with you and build those in-person relationships. Yeah, totally. With a stack of business cards that then becomes another process, which is all these other follow-ups. I like it. Now, this is a great transition into some of the things that you're doing to help build your speaking business. Mm-hmm. But before I do, there's one element of the legend that I need clarification on. You have all these post notes. Are you on a whiteboard? Are you on a wall? Are you on a glass mirror? Are you moving them around? I usually do it on the whiteboard and I stick them all up here. And that way I can actually draw on the whiteboard. So then you're, you're almost mapping out. So one might be higher and lower. Yeah, I, uh, I'm literally drawing the lines. I do that. But recently I've been using Miro to do virtual whiteboarding. Hmm. Miro. It's called Miro. It used to be real-time board and it got bought by Miro. So Interesting. it's a good virtual whiteboard. And I think you get five for free on the free plan. Awesome. So I use it a lot for market research. I use, I'm kind of a sticky aficionado when it comes to market research. Yeah. Well, let me know when they sponsor you because I'm still trying to get them to sponsor me because I love post notes so much. I just, I talk about them all the time and I figured I might as well get some products, some merch out of it, right? Yeah. Miro is good if you're working with someone else on a talk, especially, or if you're working, at least for me, I work with a research team. We have a research team that does a lot of the analysis. So I can be working with another researcher and we can be playing around with the stickies at the same time, even though we're remote. All right. That is a legendary legend for a very tactical and strategical way to think through ahead of time, spend time looking at the experience. I will tell you, since I started doing that, I started doing that a couple of years ago. Actually, I got this from someone. I didn't just make it up. I got it from Ollie Gardner, who was with Unbounce. I don't know where he is right now. Is he still with Unbounce? But he and I were speaking in, we were like the two Americans speaking at an event in Finland. And so we became fast friends. And well, actually, I think he's Canadian, but we were the two English speakers. And <laughs> really, he's the one who introduced me to the mapping. And since I started doing that, my talks have been much, much better. I've noticed it. I'm getting a lot more response from the audience. That's awesome. I've historically drawn and mapped it out, but I haven't taken the core elements of those pieces as post-it notes to move around. It sounds like a very logical way to go about thinking before speaking. Okay, so speaking of speaking, you had mentioned that you've got to text this to that, and you're building your email list, and you're growing this. Let's talk business and be as as giving as you would like, because I know you have businesses, you have your speaking business. 
how would you help support somebody who wants to learn how to monetize sharing their voice, sharing their message? So I speak in order to get people to buy my market research services. It's not a full-time business. That is a primary lead gen for me. And yes, I get paid and that's great to get paid and get your travel taken care of. Well, pre-COVID travel taken care of, but it's great to be able to get paid to do lead gen on your own. But the primary purpose for me is to build Bixa, to build my market research company. And that was the purpose behind the book as well. I published the book to get more speaking gigs so that I could reach more people, have a bigger platform so that I could have more reach in terms of selling market research services. Okay. So what are some of the things that get you the gigs in the first place? Because we, once you get the gigs, it turns into the lead gen, turns into business, which is awesome. But uh, maybe you can share some of the modern day tactics of outreach and how to not get lost in the shuffle, or if you're doing any specific type of advertising or, you know, your market research on how to get more speaking gigs to then create that chain of events. I will say most of my speaking engagements come from somebody who was in the audience. I'm sure you've heard this a lot. Somebody's in the audience and then they see you in there having an event. So they end up, they end up inviting you. I go on a lot of podcasts. I get some inquiries from podcasts like this one in case anyone's listening and it's happening at an event. So I get some inquiries that way. I am with London Speaker Bureau as well. They book a couple times a year they book me, but not on a regular basis. Is that the only bureau that you're with? That's the only bureau that I have consistently gotten business from. (laughs) I like the way you framed it because I know somebody who belongs to like 18 of them and it's like, how many gigs do you get? I mean, I'm registered with a number of bureaus, but I think unless somebody is saying, I need a market researcher and they go to their database and they're like, who's in market research? And they look for it. I literally just got a gig for them for an upcoming talk in January where they specifically said we needed somebody who had customer experience in their talk topics and they were able to speak about international business. Stories, only only stories from international business. So I'm like, great, my three stories, great. (laughs) (laughs) Now, you mentioned just prior um, in reference to just speaking at Facebook. Like for an example, how did you land that? Actually, I think the Facebook keynote came from a random Google ad that I had. Your Google ad? Yeah. So let's back up because I told you before this call that I couldn't couldn't wait to talk with you about this. So during COVID, when my market research business tanked back in March, by the way, it has like completely shot up again since then. But we had a couple of months where we had no research projects, like none. And I was able to keep employees on, but did not pay myself at all. Like it was a rough few months. And during that time, I started looking into what different types of ads I could put out there in a digital way because I had canceled 24 speaking engagements when March hit. Right. And a couple of them went virtual. But I think at that time, a lot of the speaking engagements were just like, oh, we're going to cancel until further notice. And so 24 of my speaking engagements got canceled. And 
I kind of freaked out and I went online and I was on YouTube watching videos on how to advertise and stuff like that. And I, and my kids were being homeschooled. And so I was split. I was trying to do these AdWord things and I've never worked with AdWords before and I'm homeschooling my kids and I got distracted and I accidentally set up a Google ad and it wasn't going to the YouTube stuff at all. It's just in order to get to the settings in AdWords, you have to have something there. So I set up just some silly, silly thing. It was like top market research companies and just directed to my website. Like it wasn't, it was not well thought out. There was no strategy behind it. It was just something that I assumed I was going to delete an hour later when I figured out all the rest of the settings in AdWords and started going around. Side note, you might be able to use that as a, as a really bad template for the course that you launch on AdWords later. Just saying. So I didn't know it was running. So it was billing me. It was running. It was charging me $10 a day. And in a week, I ended up getting random inbound leads for four big projects. And I landed two of them. And one of them was a $100,000 project. And... I was like, where are these leads coming from? And I asked, I it was asking people because these were just, I mean, I don't get four inbound leads in a week for huge projects. That's just not something that typically happens without cultivating a relationship and everything. So I was like, what is going on? And then I realized, and it was about, and when it hit my credit card, like three weeks later, that's when I realized that all these leads were coming in from Google ads. So I dropped the YouTube thing and was like, forget that. Let's focus on these Google ads. And so I tried to strategically change it. I went and looked at all my competitors, saw what they were running. I changed it. I tweaked it. No leads. <laughs> None. And so since then, I ended up hiring a company to actually really optimize it. And since then, I think that's what got me the Facebook keynote because somebody was Googling market research keynote. So the, the lesson that I have from that is to try and realize that when you're doing things that you don't think are going to work or you're looking at douchey templates or you're just trying to work through something, you never know. It could pop up a whole new lead generation. Yeah, I really didn't think search ads would work, but they did for me. It wasn't for my speaking. It was for my market research company, but it was still working. And somebody did, I mean, Facebook found me through that ad. I still haven't figured out how to use AdWords. I just gave up and hired a company. <laughs> but I like this. You're trying, you're experimenting, you're getting your hands in the dirt, and you're trying to sort of make things work. And then once you find something that might work, then that's easy to hire out to have help and supplement for. I will say a lot of my leads come from my LinkedIn learning courses. Interesting. I don't know how many other LinkedIn learning instructors find that as well. And maybe it's I, and they certainly come, I have three courses in the catalog and I've got three more. I'm actually filming one on Monday and then two more in a month. But those courses, my one that's on market research foundations, that one gives me a lot of market research referrals in business. Even though I'm just talking about just the very basics of market research, just giving vocabulary and things like that. It's a one hour class total. I think there, it's oh, wow. in three to five minute videos and it was filmed pre-COVID. So I was actually in a studio standing up with a set in the background. 
You know, that reminds me because I was, uh, whether it's in line or in the queue, or I was, uh, I was pitching some LinkedIn learning courses. And when COVID hit, just like everything else, like everybody just repositioned. LinkedIn didn't have a good strategy. I was talking to them in March because I, I actually went to my contact and my producers there because I already had relationships with them. And I told them, I don't have work right now. I can work on scripts for you. I can write lots of scripts. I got a studio set up in my basement. I can film them here. Tell me what to do. I will do it. And they just didn't have a plan. Yeah. And it's taken until this point, until <laughs> just this week. I mean, and we're here in early December for them to really start even piloting live action courses again. They were doing audio only, you know, over top of slides, but not the live action kind. But that's your style. You, you already manipulate Zoom to be able to get that exact thing out there and manipulate in the best way. Own the camera space and that experience. Well, I think this is a lot to chew on. We have everything from a legendary legend system to organize your thoughts with emotional ups and downs. To accidental Google ads. <laughs> yeah, we have Google ads, accidental Google ads in order to spark. We have really looking at the business of speaking more in a lead generation capacity, because I would imagine that it would take a few digital presentations to rack up 100,000 in honorarium when you are looking at a larger project that still feeds the engine, gives you more credibility, and integrates your business with your professional speaking career. How about to just sort of end this? Any motivational thoughts for those who are excited about speaking, but then all of this happened, you know, do you see this as something that's going to last forever in some way, as far as the digital element of speaking? Tell us the future. I want to see the magic ball in action here. I believe that you're going to land a lot more speaking gigs this year than you landed last year. And it's because people at this point who were organizing events have decided my event is digital. I now have a plan for digital. I'm going to buy this software. I had a budget. I'm going to hire all these speakers. They're organizing events that are meant to be digital again. And I think everyone was paralyzed for a while. These companies, these events around the world were just paralyzed, waiting it out, going, when is this thing going to end? And yeah. now that there's no end in sight, they're saying, okay, at this point, it's been several months. We got to have a plan. Let's just go digital. And this is how we're going to do it. So I've started to get a lot more speaking engagements. And what's great about them is that you can do them from your house. It's not yes. two days of travel to fly somewhere to go speak at an event. You can get an event anywhere in the world right now and do it from your home office. Yeah, I spoke in Nigeria this week and uh, the travel time was very, very simple. And I'm going to be in Ghana in two weeks. Now, I did physically go there last year and it was amazing. But you're right. Like, it's still a chance to be international, to be seen, be heard, and essentially still have fun in the presentations. Yeah, like I said, the connections are not going to be, you're not going to make as many connections. But if you connect with a few really, if you make even a few core connections by, actually not just showing up for your talk, but going to the virtual coffee chats that they have at the conference or whatever that conference is doing, 
ask the organizer, when can you network with people? Right. Because if you don't ask, no one will tell you. Well, Sarah, I've had a lot of fun and I'm excited to continue to see you crush this marketing research space. You are my go-to person when I want someone else to figure out what's going on. And if somebody does want to grab your book or find you or book you, how does that work? Well, they can get anyone listening today can get a free chapter. You just have to go to bixaresearch.com slash free chapter, B-I-X-A research.com slash free chapter. Or you can take out your phone and text the word hi, H-I to 66866 and you will get that free chapter and you will also get a bonus. <laughs> I got a bonus in my email sequence right now of a PDF guide to market research for this next generation of consumers. That's 66866 type high. <laughs> you know, actually one thing I started doing, I actually have a picture in my slides now of a cell phone and where to put the number 66866 and where to write the word hi, because people were coming up to me after talks and saying, how do I do that? Right. I don't have your phone number. How do I text you? And they didn't understand. Some of these were older people. I mean, like. Yeah, but it's not a full. I'm, I'm missing four numbers. <laughs> yeah, they didn't understand that that was the same as a phone. You can just put it a phone number in and you can actually text a random phone number. Like they didn't get that. So I actually put a screenshot of a phone with the 66866 and the word hi in there. And since I did that in my slides, <laughs> the people signing up went up. You are leading the horse to the digital water. That's 66866. Go into your phone. Open up your text message. Pretend like you're going to text somebody who has a phone number that is only five numbers. Type it in. Use hi. It doesn't matter if it's capitalized or not. Just push the damn button. Go. Just put the screenshot on your slide at the end, and I guarantee that more people will go, oh, that looks easy, and then open their phone and do it. Awesome. Well, hey, thank you for your time. This was a lot of fun. And thanks to Speaker Hub for sponsoring my ability to come and just hang out and talk with amazing speakers and have fun and learn and laugh. Yay, Speaker Hub. And I will make sure that I get you a VIP profile so that it's one more place to be found. And they've got a great call for speakers search engine where you can act as your own little bureau. And again, hey, the easier it is to have another breadcrumb to be found digitally, you can set up a weird Google ad and point it there. <laughs> Everybody, if you like this episode or you know somebody who's in a market research or you know a speaker, I don't have a screen for this, but take this podcast and subscribe to it and then share this on your social media platforms. Shoot, you can even text it to somebody to their full number if you want to. My name is Ryan. This is Sarah. And we are moving on with our day. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>